Well, 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 welcome back to the podcast, Perfectly Woke listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Walker McCowan, your co-host, and I just wanted to welcome you to this podcast episode where Jonathan and I are going to be talking back and forth about how we see God. In this episode, we're going to be talking all about what it means to see God properly, what it means to see others properly, what it means to live a life of spiritual sight. Uh, and not spiritual blindness. So we hope that you will enjoy this episode of Prayer If Woke. If you like it, please share it, send it to your friends, share it on social media. We appreciate all the publicity we can get. Thank you so much. And without further ado, let's listen to this episode of Prayerfully Woke. Hey, what is good, Prayerfully Woke audience? This is your host, co-host, extraordinaire, John Garlock Deuce, and I'm with my main man, Walker McCallum. What's good, Walker? Oh, not much, man. Everything, everything's good, uh, you know, except for man. Like, we're so wretched, but uh, but God snow, is good. Snow-covered <laughs> dung. Yeah, pretty much. No, but no, things are good, man. Things are good. Life's good. Um you know, more and more things are um, just like life, like things are opening up a little bit more uh, from the quarantine, but then there's like, you know, school coming in. So we're going to see, I guess, see how that, you know, see how that ends up. We'll see. But, uh, but yeah, life is good, man. Got, you know, breath in my lungs and roof over my head. So life's good. You're the breath in my lungs. So I just pour out my praise. That's Something right. Like that. Something like that. <laughs> hey, so um, this is episode 19, I think, which means that we've got this episode and one more, uh, and that will close out season number three. Hard to believe we've been around for just about 60 episodes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's wild. Perfectly woke. It's 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 been an amazing ride, and we couldn't do it without you guys, so we really appreciate that. Uh, our fans, uh, we love you. We thank you for listening to <laughs> us, all our babbling. Our our fans. Yeah. Hey, I, I just thought of something. That, I don't know that anyone would qualify themselves as a fan. They're fanatics. Fan is fanatics. too short. They're fanatics. <laughs> they, I mean, they're. I mean, there's people right now that are probably just re- keep refreshing their podcast feed, waiting for this podcast to come up. But yeah. No, the, but but we're making it right now. So, anyways, I was gonna say, Jonathan, since the next episode is the last one of this season, hey guys, uh, I want you to to contact us on social media via twitter or instagram and just let us know what who would you like to who would you like for us to try to get on for the last episode of the season because uh we want to make it uh we don't go out with a bang you know we want to go out with on a good note so so hit us up let us know who you would like us to get on for the last episode and we'll try to make it happen are you i feel like you're making promises you can't keep right now i said we're gonna try we're gonna try i never said we would we're gonna try you know, if they say if they tell us to try and get on like you know the Pope or something like that, then <laughs> then you know. But I think not, we could get the Pope. I don't yeah. think it'd be any problem to get the Pope. He's waiting. He's waiting. I think, I think it would be hard to get an interpreter for the Pope, but I think getting the Pope himself would be yeah, easy. very, very, very true, very true. Hey, for real though, we've got some great guests lined out uh, for season number four already. Guys that uh, couldn't get on this season that have tentatively agreed to be with us in the fall and so i'm super stoked about that 
But yeah. we're li- we're living in the future, and it's important that we live in the present right now because we did. I did get a question actually late last night uh, from a young lady, and the question is interesting enough to make it a subject on the Perfectly Book podcast. And here was the question: How do you go about discovering the true nature of God after you have been conditioned to see Him a certain way your whole life? And I mean. We run into questions like this almost constantly, right? I mean, we hear questions like this all of the time um, where uh, people have been taught to think about God in a certain way, and they're, they've struggled with that thought process about God. They've struggled with that belief system about the nature of who God is. They found contradictions uh, of what they've been taught about God, but they don't know where to go and and yeah. they're afraid or maybe I should speak for myself I know when I went through some deconstruction and some uh, some remodeling of my own faith journey I know uh, I lived in a lot of anxiety and fear because I didn't want to believe the wrong things because if you are wrong then there there's hell to pay you know like literally not Quite not just to use yeah. that cliche phrase but like literally you know right 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 so, so I think it's I think it's an important question, and I think it's a question that we can at least begin to answer as part of the podcast uh, today. It was A.W. Towser that said, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And so it's foundational how we view God. It's foundational what we think of uh, when we think about God. What are your initial thoughts on this question, Walker? Well, I think how we see God and how we see the world, like, I think that really matters. It really does because you, the reason A.W. Tazer can say that is because we become like the God that we worship, you know, and it's, right. it's a feedback loop as well. So then the, the, we become like the God that we worship and then the God that we worship, uh, you know, then influences us and then we project those things back onto God. So it's like it like never ending cycle of you know if it's the wrong teaching if it's the wrong way of looking at God it's a never ending cycle that just perpetuates that same thing. Jesus, when he came to Earth, when he uh, walked among us, saw this blatantly amongst the Pharisees. Right, the Pharisees had like a, a a false view of of God, and so just as you were you know saying that, and I was thinking of our conversation uh, before we hit the record button was when Jesus talks about in John nine about true sight and and spiritual blindness and all these things and you know there's a guy who uh you know comes to jesus and and he um basically they, they ask him a question you know and jesus jesus says do you believe in the son of man and jesus and the person says who is he sir i want to believe in him and jesus says you have seen him and he's speaking to you and the guy says yes what i believe Jesus said, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. The Pharisees were standing nearby, heard him, ask, and asked, said, are, are you saying that we are blind? Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So I didn't mean to go like all monotone reading there for a minute, but all I'm trying to say is that Jesus made it very, very clearly that there's a certain kind of sight that goes beyond your eyeballs. There's a certain kind of sight that is a spiritual kind of seeing, a spiritual seeing of God in the proper way and a spiritual seeing of the world in a proper way. Um, and as long as we refuse to see God and to see neighbor in the way that they were properly meant to be seen, 
then we will be living in spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think on a practical level, um, and we'll use a big word, and we use this word a lot, but I think our hermeneutic of reading Scripture is vitally important. Uh, a hermeneutic is is a way that we um, interpret uh, Scripture, a way that yes. a method of interpretation. Uh, it's a lens. It's a lens by which we we view Scripture and see things. But mm-hmm. it's also it's not just important our own hermeneutic uh, when we open up the Bible, but it's also important uh, the hermeneutic of the people that we listen to mm. because as a young person I was more influenced by the people I heard than what I read for myself mm. and so I think it's vitally important who we allow to influence our view of God uh, that's why it's important to get into um, a, a church that is preaching uh, a Christ-centered uh, message uh, because you know, Brad Jersek talks about a cruciform hermeneutic where yeah. we interpret all scripture through the lens of the cross. Um, and that is, that is rare to be honest. Mm. I mean, if you were to ask uh, all kinds of Christians, what the, the climactic moment of all of human history was, I don't think you'd get a lot of pushback. Uh, I think everybody would agree that it was on the cross. Uh, mm. but, a lot of times people don't take those moments on the cross and allow them to transform how we view everything. Yeah. And so if, if the climactic moment of human history is the cross, the climactic moment of the cross is when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm. And that's, I think that it has to be foundational of how we view God. And we have to allow that statement of Jesus, all of Jesus' life, and we'll get into that in a minute. But we have to let that that moment of Jesus on the cross transform all of how we view God and how we view other people. Um, I think I think we view God differently because of the dynamic that Jesus is God, but we view people differently in that statement because Jesus says they know not what they do, mm. and that's that's an incredible uh, paradigm shift on how we view God and how we view the people around us and their wrongdoing as well. Yeah, because in that, that just implies that sin, you know, is not, I don't, I don't know how I want to say this. Maybe we could talk about this because I really haven't had a chance to work out my thoughts on this yet, but how much of sin is like personal responsibility that, like how much how much are we personally responsible for sin and how much of it is that we're chained to the power of sin you know and until yep. we allow the work really are walking about in a way that we don't know what we're doing you know we are we are influenced by the forces of darkness we're influenced by the powers uh the you know principalities and powers of this of this of this world you know so uh, I think I lost connection there for a minute, maybe. But what I was just trying to say is that that when we are controlled by the principalities and powers of this world, then uh, you know you could say we have no choice but to walk in sin. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really believe in original yeah, sin in terms of like you know that we're helpless, but I think that we're misguided. You could say. Yeah, I, I think it's not that we're helpless; it's that we're powerless. Um, 
over yeah. sin. That sin has dominion over us. And that's what the cross is about, is about mm. Christ breaking the power of sin and death off of our life. Uh, so yeah. we're not helpless. Jesus is our help. We're not hopeless. Jesus is our hope. Amen. But we were powerless. We were yes. powerless over our sin, and we needed a Savior, and we needed to experience forgiveness, and we needed to experience new life and life more abundantly through through Jesus Christ. But the whole narrative of what we're trying to talk about today is that if God is an angry ogre in the sky, then how on earth do we as creatures find right relationship with him? Yeah. Uh, how, you know, if, 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 if God is this angry ogre in the sky and we're this evil, uh, natured creation, then we are continuously making God angry and making God wrathful and making God vengeful. And you'll hear that message preached, but that is not the revelation of God that we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we have, we have this cruciform hermeneutic where we see everything through this lens of Jesus on the cross. Uh, but that takes us into the larger life and ministry of Jesus, uh, where Jesus says, uh, you know, things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father where John tells us that, uh, Jesus is the perfect revelation of the invisible God, where Paul says in Colossians that, that Jesus is, um, is the perfect image of the invisible God, where John says that, um, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, I think we have a decision to make. Do we yes. want to choose yeah. law or do we want to choose grace and truth? Mm. And that's a decision that we have to make. And I think it can be foundational on how we see uh, God and how we transform how we think about God. For sure. I like what you said there. There's a decision to be made because there is. Because – you know, there's we can paint around it however we want with, you know, I don't know, I, I, with like different discussions and stuff like that about the Old Testament. But there's decisions to be made in terms of what is taught in parts of the Bible versus other parts of the Bible versus what what God is supposedly saying in one part versus what He definitively says in another through Jesus. And there's a decision that has to be made. So first, so for the person out there that you know, is asking this question of, you know, how do I walk away from viewing God in this particular way to viewing God in another form, in, you know, the more beautiful Jesus-centered way? How do you do that? You do that by analyzing it and making that choice for yourself and allowing, the beauty, allowing, allowing, the, allow, allowing the beauty to speak to you, you know? There... I think that one of the most compelling reasons why we should follow Jesus and not Torah, follow Jesus and not law, follow Jesus and not thinking of God in the way it was in the Old Testament is because of the beauty behind it. Christ, when you just take him as he is, so beautiful, so wonderful. All the things that he said and did was to uplift the broken and the hurting and the poor and the indebted and the enslaved and the 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 dying and the the sick, and the, I think I already mentioned the sick, but all of those people, Jesus came to help and to uplift. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. If someone came around today and started doing all those things, if someone came around today when the, in the power and the might and the majesty and the beauty that Jesus showed in first century Palestine, then we would, everybody would get behind him. 
you know, people would be voting him in, you know, for president. People would be, well, maybe not. I don't know about that, but because uh, <laughs> they're all because they're all wicked in their ways. But all I'm trying to say is that that's something people could get behind because it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And that's to me is is the most compelling reason why someone should choose the view of Christ over the view of um, you know the way that God is portrayed by a lot of other people because it's beautiful. No, I think I think that's a good point. I think maybe how I would say that differently is Jesus is the one that common people would always get behind. J- Jesus was crucified by empire. He was hated by religious leaders, but he was loved by common ordinary people. He was followed faithfully by common ordinary fishermen and because of his grace because of who yeah. he was because of of his nature and so i can just hear uh from from my own past experience my arguments i've had in my own mind with my own self well what about what the bible says what about old testament scriptures what about uh the moments in 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 old testament and new testament where it looks like uh, God is angry and wrathful. Well, let me say this, that even Scripture has to bow to the Word of God made flesh. Mm, even Scripture amen. has to bow to the Word of God made flesh. And I want to show you two instances where a cruciform theology uh, will change the way that we read uh, Scripture. Um, and the first one, let me find it here. The first one I wanted to share with you um, is from uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I heard this scripture quoted uh, constantly growing up. And uh, in verse 12 of Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and Mm -hmm. spirit and the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the pastor would quote that verse and he would shake Mm -hmm. his Bible in the air and he would say, This word of God is living and powerful. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. But verse 13 says this, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. You see, the word of God is not a book. The word right. of God is a person. Yeah. The word of God has been made flesh and dwelt, dwelt among us. And yes. his name is Jesus. Jesus is the, the sword that's, that's sharp, and it, it divides us. It cleans us. It cuts away the death out of our souls, out of our spirit. It cuts away um, the destruction that sin would bring into our heart. For the woman uh, at the well, Jesus cut away the facade of, of, of unacceptance and not being loved. Uh, for the woman uh, with the issue of blood, Jesus was the sword that cut away her disease. Uh, for uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus cut away that false self that she was the only sinful person in the room jesus is this sword this 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 sharper than any two-edged sword that comes and divides our soul and spirit and joints and marrow he is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart and so we read scripture differently because of the word made flesh let me read one more verse for you uh and it is psalm 33 4 and i have no doubt uh, that the psalmist didn't did not have Jesus in mind when he penned this, but we don't read scripture through the lens of the writer. We read scripture through the 
cruciform lens. We read scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he lays deep the storehouses. We know who that word is. We know yeah. that that word is Jesus. Amen. And so when we read when we read scripture differently through the lens of the living word, Jesus Christ, it cannot help but change our perspective on yes. who God is. Yes. It cannot help but change our perspective. And so there's there's a leap of faith. And I understand that it can be difficult, but there's a leap of faith that we must take in order uh, to walk down this narrow road of, of knowing Jesus as God, mm. of accepting the, the grace and truth that has come through Jesus. Philip struggled with this. Philip, the, the disciple, says to Jesus, um, you, know, this, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but, but basically Philip says, you know, all this stuff you're doing is really good, Jesus, and if you would show us the Father, it would be mm -hmm. enough for us that we believe. <laughs> then, then we'd be all in if you just show us the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, have you been with me so long you don't understand? Mm -hmm. If you've seen me, yes. you've seen the Father. Mm. We have to get to where we can accept that, that seeing Jesus is to understand the full nature mm -hmm. of the Father. That yes. experiencing yes. Jesus is experiencing the Father. And Anti and any contradiction to the nature of Jesus is a contradiction to the nature of the Father, mm. right? Yeah. And so we don't want to, I told my church this several months ago, I never want to give God credit for what sin does. And a wrong view of God will always give God credit for something that sin did. This is something the Pharisees struggled with. This is something Jesus' own disciples struggled with. They thought that if someone had something bad, that it was a punishment from God. And Jesus is always having to correct this wrong hermeneutic, this wrong interpretation, this wrong theology, uh, because it's human nature uh, to, to create a God in our own image. Because we are wrathful, we are vengeful, we are angry. Was that heart telling me to shut up because you wanted to talk? No, that heart was me. I'm loving everything, bro. I'm loving it. You're preaching, man. I love it. I know. I just love it. It's, it's amazing because it's so true. Everything you're saying is so true. Jesus, I, I just think of, you know, one of my favorite parts of uh, the book of Hebrews is the very, very, very first line where, you know, he says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in, in many times in many ways. But now. You know, that, that but now phrase has a sense of, of a, a connotation of seriousness to it. There's a shift. Yeah. But now, yeah. he has sent his one and only son, you know. And it's like, you know, I, I always think of it like, you know, you might know somebody through the grapevine. But you, like, you just heard like rumors about them. You know, you just heard like a little bit about them. And, and so you have like this muddied picture of who they are, you know. Until they come right to you and you realize, oh, you're completely different than everybody told me. You know, you're a completely different person. Like, I didn't know who you are, but now I do. That's how 
humanity's relationship with God was. It's like there's many, many different pictures of God, many different ideas about God, and many different rumors, you could say. Uh, and all, you know, most of the time, rumors are are sprouted out of some form of truth, you know. And so there, that's not to say that Israel didn't have receive any truth, but there's that truth is modeled with other, uh, you know, cultures of the day, other thought processes. And so Israel has this muddy view of God, and God comes to them himself. Jesus reveals him, reveals God fully. And so then now, you know, this is what the Jewish people are left with in the early New Testament writings is they're sitting there saying, like, who is Jesus? Like, what just happened? What do we make of this? How do we live our lives now in response to what has happened? And I don't know. I think all of that, like, like we have to – we now – have experienced that clarity, you know, that that clear vision of who God is through Jesus. Um and that that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Because if and also this this is like goes in with the the deity of Christ, right? Jesus is God. And that's very important because if Jesus is just another good teacher, then you could just add his teachings along to the, you know, library of other teachings that have been received throughout history, you know, about God and religion, faith, anything that of those sorts. But if Jesus is God, then his teachings are supreme and above every other teaching, preeminent. preeminent. It it cancels and it, it cancels out the previous ones. The previous ones are null and void, you know, because of what Jesus has said. And anything that does not agree, I should say anything that does not agree with Jesus's teachings. So, for example, like the Ten Commandments are not null and void because those are not contradictory to Jesus's teachings. But to be very practical, I would say, obviously, because Jesus contradicted it, the commandment and the law that said that you should go outside the city and stone any adulterer is contradictory to Jesus's teachings because he contradicted it, you know? So that, that commandment is, is null and void. So, so someone might say like, what's the litmus test here with Jesus? If Jesus, if it doesn't go with what Jesus taught, if it doesn't go with what Jesus said, if it doesn't go with what Jesus propagated through his ministry, then it is not correct. It's not the right view of God because as you said, Jesus is preeminent. Yeah. And I think what you said can sound really extreme. Until you read the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus yes. says, you have heard it said of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, that that is yes. not some quote from some obscure Hebrew teaching. That is the law of Moses. You've heard it said of old, but I say to you, Jesus is, is pushing back against this. And he's saying, I have a better way. I have a more complete way. I am the way, Jesus would say, yes, right? Yes. I, I am the more complete way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We cannot get to the Father through an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We cannot get to the Father through the teachings of Moses. If we could, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. That's right. That's I've, right. I've heard, I've heard preachers say, well, nobody could live up to, to the law perfectly, and that's why Jesus had to come. The Apostle Paul says that he was blameless concerning, the, and in his blamelessness concerning the law, he was a Christian. He was a murderer. Yeah. Right? He was a Christian killer. He was a church persecutor. But he has 
this encounter with the living word of God. Uh, and something like scales come over his eyes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and he has to obey the word of God. And when he obeys the, the living word of God, Jesus, uh, he is prayed for by a, a believer and the scales fall off, off of his eyes. And for the first time in his life, he can see. And after he has this experience, he writes to the Corinthian church. And he's, Paul says that even today when Moses is read, Israel has to put a veil over their face. But we, with unveiled faces, view the full glory of God through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And see, oh, yeah. what, has to, what has to happen to us is that we have to take the veil off because yes. we know who God is. We've experienced God through Jesus. And there is something inside of you, even if you haven't fully accepted it yet, if you've experienced Jesus, there's something inside of you that knows that an angry, wrathful God is not who Jesus called Abba. Mm -hmm. You know that there's a conflict. You know something's wrong. And like yeah. you said, like we said 20 minutes ago, you have to take that leap of faith. You have to accept it. You have to, <laughs> you have to be converted. That's what the, the, the Apostle Peter's words would be. You have to be converted into truly believing that Jesus is the way. Um, that everything must bow. Every hermeneutic must bow. Every knee must bow. Every scripture must bow. Every preacher must bow. Every dogma must bow. Every religious concept and religious practice must bow to the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. Absolutely, man. Like, no, I, I, absolutely. I love it. And it, it, everything you said, it's like, I don't even know what to say to, to really top that because it's, 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 it's the truth. And but I will say this, you said everything must bow, and I believe everything will bow. You know, that's what, I mean, yes. that's what the scripture says, every knee will bow. Um, and so whether or not you believe it, this is the truth. And, and that's not because, you know, that, that'd be very arrogant of me to say, oh, well, my, you know, it's the truth because I said, you know, no, it's the truth because, because Jesus is alive. Like that, that, that's the truth of the matter is that because of the resurrection of Christ, there's a witness to this. So this is not just something that Jonathan and I are saying via the podcast network. This is something that is witnessed via the Holy Spirit from the risen Christ. That there, the, yep. this, is, this is witnessed to us within our spirit. And I know we're talking about spiritually abstract concepts here, but, but it's all... It's, 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 this is all witness to us from the living God, not, not the, not the dead God. He's, he's not still in the grave, but the, the living God. Yes. The, so the resurrection, I'm glad you brought that up. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus is who he said he is. Yes. The resurrection is the proof that, that Jesus is who he said he is and what he says about himself is true. That he mm -hmm. is God, and it gives authority. So when Jesus is, is raised from the grave right before he ascends to the Father, mm -hmm. in Matthew's gospel, he says, all authority is given to me in heaven yes. and on earth. That's why All authority. Has. All authority. Right. And so when we, give, when we give anything authority over who Jesus is and what Jesus has said, said we are making an idol. 
out of that. And so mm. I know people that have made an idol out of the Bible. I know people who have made an idol out of an obscure doctrine that their certain denomination uh, was built upon. You know, because there's thousands of denominations and they're divided because they have differences of opinion. And usually what has divided them becomes their idol, right? So yeah. it can be a whole... It can be a holiness doctrine. It can be a prosperity doctrine uh, that becomes an idol. It can be a, a, a way that we read scripture or even a certain translation of scripture can become an idol. Uh, you know, we make jokes about IFB preachers all the time because they have made an idol uh, out of the King James Bible. And we have to be very careful that we don't make an idol out of our view of God that supersedes who God is and who God has revealed himself to be through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Any idol that we make has to be cast down. You know, I think of, I think of, you know, people here probably think we're hating on the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love that part where, you know, Gideon is told to, to tear down the idols the, uh, of, of, his, of his family. Uh, you know, that's just a beautiful picture of, of the work of Christ that happens in our lives whenever we, Whenever we submit to him, you know, anything, anything that becomes an idol in our life has to be torn down. Yeah. So, so I do. I, I love the Old Testament as well. But Brad Jersek tells us that we are not allowed into the Old Testament unless we have Jesus as our guide. Yes. If, if we don't. Take our rabbi. Jesus, yeah. If we don't take Jesus to the Old Testament with us, then we're going to uh, start worshiping on Saturdays again. We're going close close of one right type of cloth yeah right we'll be stoning rebellious sons uh doing all kinds of stuff and so um, yeah we have to take jesus with us whether it's the writings of paul or whether it's the writings of moses because jesus is the word made flesh jesus is what god has to say um and he is the authoritative um voice that we listen to he yeah. is the savior scripture isn't the savior and i know that can sound contradictory because uh, a lot of the time we experience jesus through scripture but let me push back on that too because scripture isn't the only way we experience um, jesus we experience jesus through the sacraments jesus said when you take of this bread and this cup you do so in remembrance of me you you you're experiencing me uh, we experience Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we say that the only way that we experience Jesus is through Scripture, we're denying most of the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 110 percent. Um, and that and that's to limit. I mean, that's that's limiting God. You know, that's really putting God in a box to say that He can only speak to us through Scripture. You know. So yeah, yeah. well, it's it's in essence it's denying two of the three. Because yeah. you don't want to come to terms with who Jesus is, and you're denying the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so you're left with your own understanding of a father, which can be very, uh, very much skewed by your own experience with your own father. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And other world experiences come, in, come into play there. I love what you said about taking Jesus with us in the Old Testament, because it reminded me of like, you know, good, good old Martin Luther came along and, um, you know, gave us five solas, and one of them is sola scriptura, you know, that scripture alone, scripture alone. And because of that, combined with the, with the, with the printing press, um, 
a lot more people start reading the Bible on their own. And not that I think it's bad. I think I think people should read the Bible. But I think we also, we, we need teachers. We need rabbis. We need people that will teach us the correct way to read it. Because there is a correct way to read the Bible, okay? It's not, it's not just like your opinion on things. There is something it's trying to teach you and tell you. There's something that God's trying to speak. And if we don't have Jesus as our living rabbi via the Holy Spirit, then we will get a skewed view of things. And so I love what you said there. You know, we don't just read the Bible on our own. We read it with Jesus. Yes, and Jesus, I mean, all, all, all due respect, but Jesus was the cherry picker of Old Testament Scripture. Yeah, uh, yeah, he Peter was. was a cherry. Peter was a cherry picker of Old Testament scripture. The Apostle Paul was a cherry picker of Old Testament scripture. There's mm-hmm. a there's an amazing, uh, amazing moment. Uh, the first time that the crowds try to kill Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, he's in the temple and he takes the a scroll of Isaiah the prophet or Jeremiah, excuse me, Jeremiah the prophet, and he begins to read. And the back end of of his reading, uh, the prophet says. Uh, he has come to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. Yeah. But Jesus doesn't read that part. He stops at the giving of sight to the blind, uh, and he closes the scroll, and he says, this day, this prophecy has come to pass yeah. in your hearing. And so Jesus is cherry-picking. Why? Because Jesus is showing us the better way. Jesus is showing us the full revelation of God, the fullest and the truest revelation of who the father is yeah uh you were right in the beginning it's, it is isaiah it's not jeremiah okay i'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's isaiah not that it matters meant for anything but i just want to let you know you okay. were right first you were right the first time everything everything matters you're always right uh, the first time. no you're, you're right though you're right jesus i like what you said there jesus was a cherry picker of the old testament scriptures i never thought about it that way but that's that's 100 percent true you know um so, yeah, I don't know. There's also a lot of questions I have for Jesus about some Old Testament scriptures, you know, where he references Sodom and Gomorrah and, and things like that, you know. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things there that I don't know if we will ever know. But, um, but yeah, Jesus definitely, definitely, I mean, because, he's, because his authority is greater, he has the right to do that, to pick and choose the scriptures that, you know, he likes. Or that are, correct, that are correct, that are morally correct. Yeah, for sure. And he yeah. is the gauge. Jesus is the gauge on morality. Jesus is the gauge on goodness. Jesus 100%. is the gauge on love. Jesus mm-hmm. is the gauge on who we should accept. Uh, uh, you know, the New Testament tells us that he has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He's the gauge of life. Jesus not only came to show us the Father, but he, sh- he came to show us uh, what it really means to be human. Mm. To show us what it really means to be human. Yeah. That'd be, that's like another podcast right there. Maybe, maybe we could do that next yep. week. Maybe we could get somebody on next week to talk about what it means to be truly human. But um, Jesus comes to show us what God is really like and what being human is really like. I like yeah. that. I like that. That's oh, good. I, I, love, I love that because Seems it like expands... A- it, it expands Jesus from just being this prototype of God that we can never achieve to someone that we can actually have relationship with and follow. actually mimic, actually actually follow. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
For sure. Well, that sounds like a good place to land the ship right there. Um, right. I think I think tentatively, let's just plan on that, pray for the local listeners. Next week, we'll be talking about what it means to be fully human for the last uh, episode of of the, the week. So thank you guys so much for, uh, lis- or for listening in. Uh, have a good one. Peace. Peace.